My name is Exuber Exuberant Amplitude. This is dross. This is the opposite of gold. It's like a, it's like one of the things that Larry King used to like uh, advertise. Tanzanite for your colon health. You know. No, why? We're saving for what? Are we, are we All right. Ready? Right. Let's start it now. The show is starting. Go. Yeah, no, we'll talk let's about, just... We're going to go. Okay. 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 This is going to go. It's going to start. of America, people of Earth, this is the mid-June edition of Glop Culture. I am John Podhoritz in New York with Jonah Goldberg in Washington, D.C. Hi, Jonah. Hello. And uh, from New Orleans, the city I was about to call the city of brotherly love. Well, they have plenty yeah, of it. They have plenty of it, but not, not that city. The, uh, and that's not Charm City. What is it again? It's the, the Crescent city. city. Rob Long. Hi, Rob. John, John, how are you? Uh, good. So we were just... By the, way, uh, by the way, I am great. I just want to say I'm great. I'm, I'm moving here, just so you know. Is that a really? Yeah, I think I am. I'm, I'm like I'm like a 60%, 70% to No kidding. Yes, not kidding. That's a bummer. No, no, it's That's not. a it's total fantastic. bummer because I so enjoyed, you know, like we used to have, have dinner in New York, well, and now we'll still we'll still do that. I'll be, you know, you'll come you up. Know. Uh, as they say in the, in the movie Mighty, uh, the movie Waiting for Guffman, I'll be by coastal. If you think of Mississippi as one of the coasts. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Jonah was going to tell a story. Oh, about yeah, yeah, Jonah, uh, Jonah. So I mean, uh, hopefully through the magic of of digital editing. Immergut will figure out a way to preserve some of the setup for this. But we were talking about how in the previous conversation, instead of the conversation being pure gold, it was pure dross. And that turned into a whole thing about bogus and fugazi gemstones and whatnot. And my um, mom, with some of her reprobate friends once, was in Vegas. This is, I believe, much of the same crew that in the late 80s, they formed a club of drinking buddies called the Thousand Pints of Light. And um, anyway, uh, they went to the Liberace Museum, and when the docent, because there are docents at the Liberace Museum, brought them to the world's largest rhinestone, as if it was, (laughs) that was a calling it, (laughs) as if it was like a legit thing found in nature or something like that, Um, they all burst into laughter, and the docent was not even remotely amused that... Yeah, one oh, would take the world's largest yeah. rhinestone. Yes, now I was at the Liberace Museum, which I believe wait, has been wait. closed for like 30 years. I don't think it exists anymore. No, not 30, because I was there. Not I was there, maybe, maybe 30. I was there because it was a tax dodge. Uh, it, the museum existed um, as, a, as a tax dodge of some sort. It was a sort. nonprofit. And, um, and it was one of the damnedest places you have ever seen because they did have like seven of these insane pianos. His pianos, including one that seemed to be mostly made of, of um, what do you call it? Like amber? Like they was money? Was, human bone? Was money? <laughs> was money yeah, yeah, sealed right. in amber? And that was oh, the, yeah, lucite. That, yeah, lucite with with mut with dollar bills and change. Yeah, but a grand piano made out of lucite with dollars and stuff. And then these mannequins wearing his outfits. And it was I, I, fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I always say outfits. <laughs> Sequined leather hot pants. I mean, it really was amazing. And somehow, yeah. these elderly people who went to see him in his hot pants Never and knew. his spurs, they were like, he's such a, what a wonderful character. And, you know, he was has always been in love with the Sonia <laughs> Henny, his long-lost love. It's true, you used to yeah. say that. And when, when, you know, when she died, it was just that he just lived a life of loneliness. I, I, I saw it, went to the Liberace Museum, and there was also a docent, and uh, we were just, um, uh, walking around, and there he had one, you know how they, in the old, like, uh, the old poster stores, they would sell po- how they sell posters. Remember, like on a giant rack. Yeah, and you flip like, through it like a like, like record album. Well, they oh, had yeah. that. They yeah. had one of those, and they were all of his um, his honorary musical degrees. <laughs> these honorary musical degrees, honorary doctorates from you know every. Uh, I mean, I was going to use a term, but I'm not going to use it when they talk about yeah. <laughs> Liberace. But every obscure uh, college yes. in America, and. Um, 
and uh, and I think and it was, Oral I was Roberts, an old, if you get my meaning. Yeah, if you get my drift. Uh, and there was a, a woman there, and we were looking, and, he, and she said, "Look at all these degrees." <laughs> and the docent said, um, "Yes, he was a very learned man." <laughs> well, oh yeah, I see. One of my first jobs, my first professional job in journalism after college, was I was a researcher at Time Magazine, and I worked as. Uh, first time, as early researchers often did, on the milestone section, which was where they did marriages, births, and deaths. It was a column. And George Liberace, Liberace's brother, died, I think, at the beginning of 1984. And he was uh, famous for being Liberace's brother because Liberace apparently talked about him on his show. Talked about his mother and his brother George. So my job as a researcher, I needed to verify the facts that were in the uh, print, published obituaries and then give them a hard check, double check them. And so I had to call the doctor uh, who had been mentioned in, I guess, the Las Vegas paper where it was reported that he had died. I had to call the doctor to verify the cause of death, which was like multiple myeloma or something like that. So this is like a Tuesday night. We closed the magazine on Friday. And I called the doctor and leave a message. doesn't call me back. I call three hours later. Eventually, I've left like 10 messages for the doctor. And and the receptionist finally says, he doesn't want to talk to you. And I said, listen, I'm calling. All I want to do right. is check the cause of death of George Liberace. And it sort of occurred to me that this guy was like some who knows what sketchy 1985. You know, maybe he had like killed George Liberace on the table or something. I don't know. I don't quite remember what happened, but we did in fact get the obituary, but it was like it was like one of these things where I had stumbled into a conspiracy <laughs> so vast. You know, it's like when, when no, Bernstein right. is at the courthouse, like to cover in, in, in all the president's men, and he's sitting there, and the, the plumbers come in, and they're getting arraigned, and there's and a guy sitting there, and he says to the guy who's sitting there, why are you here? And the guy says, oh, I'm not here. And that's like the, yeah, that's how he knows that something weird has gone on. Uh, with uh, with the plumbers and the Watergate break-in. So, um, I'm sorry. I, I, I just want to go back to the, the magnificent piano thing for a second because yes. I like to imagine there's a guy, Uh-oh. a good guy, hardworking, mm-hmm. bourgeois, maybe raising a couple kids, and <laughs> he's worried about paying his college, his kid's college, or maybe um, he's short on his mortgage, that kind of thing, and down on his luck, and he's thinking maybe he needs to, like, quit his chosen profession, but he's, he thinks he's the best there is at it. And then he gets the call that says, look, you're the guy. We need right. a Lucite piano with dollar mm-hmm. bills looking like they're frozen in amber within it. And we'll pay any price for it. Right? I mean, there are only so many people who can make that item. And I just like, you know, that, like I, I know a really rich guy who had to find the one Thatcher like guy who makes thatch huts to right. do the roof of his of this his ancestral his family's ancestral cottage in Ireland that he moved to his golf course in Texas and he had to find the one thatcher who knew how to do that like 18th century work and I, I like that those people exist that's you know? so authentic you know because it's so authentic to have an 18th century Irish hut. In the middle of Texas, so thank God it was his grandfather. His grandfather yeah, lived right. in it, and they were going to tear it down. And he was like, "Okay, I'll yeah. bring it to Texas." I stayed in it; it's but, lovely. But but thank God he got the Thatcher because exactly. you really need to preserve the authenticity of, sure. the, of the roof of the hut, yeah, while it's sitting on a golf course in Texas. It has to match the Sub Zero kitchen, <laughs> right? <laughs> But why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? These are art, art, artisans. Why wouldn't you? Now, you know, I, I inherited when uh, my father died. He had a bunch of old stuff, and you know, the old you know, the old men have stuff. And he had a bunch of pipes. He used to smoke a pipe in the I don't know. Um, probably stopped smoking pipe in the eighties. Uh, 
early 80s. But he smoked a pipe. But he also kind of inherited and collected – not collect pipes. He inherited a bunch of pipes. So there were a bunch of, like, very cool, weird Marchand pipes that we had, about four of them. And you go online, you know, pipe uh, restoration, antique pipe restoration, and there's, like, <laughs> ten people. And there's one guy who's, like, has a, an interesting website, and he talks about it. And so I call him up, and I talk to him for, like, ten minutes. And uh, and he just sounds like the guy. He's like, this is the guy. He just so I package these things up and I send them off to him. And and uh, then he uh, sends me a Venmo request and tells me what he's going to do. And then he sends me photographs during the process. And then he sends them back to me. And they're great. And that's what he does. That's his. That's what he does. He he restores your pipes. When and you're, it's not expensive, when you're but then you have these pipes. And they're like, oh, this is kind of cool. Like I then I bought some pipe tobacco. And every now and then, when I'm feeling super weird. I'll, uh, you know. I understand that Liberace had a guy who restored his pipes. No, no. It was really <laughs> um, when you went into your dad's study, and he was like a, sitting. A clue? No, what do you mean? No, he was sitting in his study yeah. in his big dark leather chair. Yeah. The wood paneling, and he had his you pipe. You to see me, Papa? And he had his pipe in his mouth, and you said to him something like, but, I want to be a dad, writer. But, Dad, mummies don't exist. Would he say something like, you know, son, many superstitions have their basis in actual fact. Because in all horror movies... You mean, was I living they, in a 1930s horror movie? Yes. Yeah, no. so they, they when they need to make the point mm -hmm. that, yes, there's a reanimated mummy walking around, right. there has to be a guy with a pipe... Right. And a jacket sitting in a study who will confirm that there is a reanimated mummy. Yeah. Right. There was, there was tell that the reanimated mummy was in the old Haverford mansion. But that's just stuff and nonsense, I believe. And then, then, the, then I would leave and I could hear my father muttering, the lad won't get into any trouble. That's, yeah, you, wow, it's almost like you were there, John. <laughs> Thank you. Well, your dad had your dad had pipes, and my dad had like five packs a day of camels. Can I just ask you, my father quit smoking when he was 39 years old. He smoked five packs a day. My dad did too. According to him. Yeah. Okay, okay. That's 100 cigarettes a day. Okay, let's say it takes three minutes to smoke a cigarette. <laughs> wow. That's 300 that minutes. Math before. So that means that five hours a day he had a cigarette in his mouth. Right, right. It, and, and he's 91 and a half. <laughs> he's still <laughs> he's going good. strong. How is that possible? How, because how here's could anyone why. smoke five Be packs here's of cigarettes thing. a day? Because maybe it's maybe the, the, the scientists working at the Tobacco Institute, and they couldn't call it an institute if it wasn't, you know, full of scientists. Maybe they were kind of right. Maybe, like, it's, maybe hydroxychloroquine works, ivermectin works, <laughs> smoking doesn't hurt. I, I, I just, it's not even that smoking, it's that, that he didn't uh, die from smoking. It's the, the fact that there was a, there were cruel people in the world, and he was one of them. Yeah, who smoked all the Who time. spent... Their entire days with this lit thing in their mouths, it's inhaling it's, and and it's unusual. It's unusual if you live yeah. in New York City or in some place like that. But right. having spent the past yeah. month in New Orleans, I can tell you, smoking is still a thing people oh, do. Yeah. Oh no, I know it is. I, it's the five packs thing because I think it's also oh, the, like it's your, it's your you want to be a hard, yeah. I'm talking about the volume. So it's like he was one of those people who he quit drinking, quit smoking, but he would say. He drank a pitcher of martinis a night and smoked five packs a day. Now maybe he didn't. Maybe he didn't really do either entirely, but it was like that yeah, was a thing that you wanted to claim right. if you were proving yeah, that you way, were it manly. Was, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't no martinis and no cigarettes. So whatever right. it was, it was. I tried to explain this to my daughter recently because she's heard the phrase chain smoker, but she didn't understand what it meant. A chain smoker yeah. is someone who smokes so many cigarettes they don't basically use a lighter. They light the we next the cigarette, cigarette with, the, right. with the one they're smoking, you know. And right. That's, mm -hmm. that's, that's crazy. It's an old um, Martin Amos line about a smoker, I think, because he, he, he was such a dedicated and passionate smoker 
that he often thought about the next cigarette while he was lighting the first cigarette. <laughs> and he's kind of like, I, I have had that. I've had that. Uh, I've had that experience with donuts, but never. I look. I never loved smoke. I smoked for seven years, and I loved smoking. I really enjoyed it, and then I I quit, and I'm very happy that I quit. But I, you know. You never live up to your father. Is this a setup for the ad for Lucy Gum? Because man, it's, I, I, it's so much low hanging fruit. Wait, here. do you have? Hold up. Do we have an ad for Lucy? I don't Gum? think so. But I mean, I don't think I've been listening one, to so. this. It's the only ad I ever read on right. this podcast, and it's like, that's right. There's my end. There's my end. No, in. but you know what? We're talking about our dads, and I have an ad to read right now about Wonderful. dads, and I will do, do that. that. Every year's a year you want to celebrate your dad, but this is a particular year as we come through. You know, and out the other side of, of this horrible pandemic. And uh, right now, I think we can honor our dads with a heartfelt gift the whole family can cherish together forever story worth an online service that helps your father, your grandfather, your father-in-law, every father figure in your life share stories through thought-provoking questions about their memories and thoughts, a fun new way to engage with these otherwise stoic ones. Every week, StoryWorth emails your father a unique story prompt, questions you never thought to ask, like, what is some of the best advice your dad ever gave you? Or what things are you proudest of in life? StoryWorth has helped numerous families learn about each other in profound, special ways, and their testimonials will practically move you to tears. There's no shortage of surprises when reading the weekly stories, and they make your family feel close. After a year, StoryWorth will compile all your dad's stories, including photos, into a beautiful keepsake book that's shipped for free. So give your father the most meaningful gift this Father's Day with StoryWorth. Get started right away with no shipping required by going to storyworth.com slash glop. You'll get $10 off your first purchase. That's storyworth.com slash glop for $10 off. Um, Jonah, I sent you, just before, I sent you a story uh, from uh, a podcast that fans of Finding Nemo are now uh, retailing a theory on podcasts and other places that Finding Nemo, of course, the story of a father who a father fish who gets separated from his son fish and then has to go find him, and the son fish has been uh, caught and trapped in a in an aquarium in Australia, right? Uh, that in fact, uh, Finding Nemo is the story of a father uh, mourning, uh, uh, unable to deal with the fact that his uh, wife and children have died, and he creates this entire fantasy about finding his son as a way of avoiding his own grief. And uh, when I sent this to you, you responded by saying, this is pure BS, and I will not stand for it. Yes. So, first of all, and, and thank you for abbreviating the actual word I used uh, yes. for this family-friendly podcast. First of all, I want to correct something you said when you said fans of Finding Nemo are saying this. You are not a fan of Finding Nemo if this is your theory about what Finding Nemo is about. <laughs> Pure and simple. Um, second of all, it's just like it makes no sense on the merits. Nemo is seen by all sorts of characters in the film. It's like Nemo exists. There's, there's no way it's a figment of the dad's imagination. It's just dumb. But let's just take this to the next level. This is what's wrong with critical theory. <laughs> right? Critical theory holds that the author no longer is authoritative over their own work product and that everything is open to diverse interpretation, and that's why you get everything from critical race theory to critical feminist theory. And, look, I am open to interesting interpretations of all sorts of works of art and all sorts of things, and there's, you know, you could, it's, it's sort of like, what is the famous line about supply-side economics? There's nothing wrong about it that couldn't be solved by dividing by ten. <laughs> the same thing with the way people use critical critical theory. I, yeah, this is an interesting thing to talk about. It could be an interesting thing to talk about if it weren't so stupid in the case of this Finding Nemo theory. Like, it's fun to come up with different theories. Like, remember when, um, you know, Tony Soprano dies? Right. And we don't know, you know, we're, we're, we're left to fill in the blanks, and I think it's pretty clear he gets killed. Spoiler alert, sorry. Um, but that was at least sufficiently ambiguous that it let people have their own theories about it or there, I remember Norm Macdonald had this great theory that, um, uh, that Walter White in the season finale of breaking bad 
was actually a ghost when he was talking to his wife. And there's all sorts of interesting things about the camera angles. I'm open to that kind of stuff when the text lends itself. But you just can't wander in and say Mm -hmm. that actually The Godfather is a uh, deep meditation on homosexual romance, you know, just because Mm -hmm. it lends – Credence to your, you know, no, that's that's Miller's Crossing. Don't you don't don't, don't start. <laughs> that is Miller's Crossing. Um, Miller's Crossing. Um, that, like Miller's Crossing, at least uh-huh. it's yeah. it's de- it is yeah. a wrong but defensible theory. Yeah, this is right. a this is a thirty year old fight between Jonah right. and me. And Why, Jonah, um, I ruined I ruined Miller's Crossing for Jonah when I pointed for out to years him until I realized yeah, there's wrong. a theory of it. You know, okay, that I was wrong. Okay. Well, can I ask? Jo- what yes, you, you seem angry. I am full of rage. I am full. Of, well, I, I just. Re- why does this make you angry? Uh, this is Aaron Siberium guy. He he tweeted out this essay that was. It would have to be improved fifty percent just to be dumb. Uh, <laughs> it's not even wrong about right. how, um, hetero how monogamy and marriage were invented to keep, um, non-binary, transgender really? people down. And that is the, that is the reason for monogamous traditional Western marriage, as if these concepts like you, you just can't do that and not and be taken seriously. And yet that is the problem we've got in so much of our culture. That's the problem with so much of the critical race stuff. Is like if you divide it by ten and you talk about okay, yeah, this thing was put there because of you know racism and it's still there and it shouldn't be there. Blah blah blah. That's fine, but not everything is about white supremacy, and not everything is about some cockamamie theory about finding Nemo's dad. It's just a nice movie. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. It's the rage, isn't it? <laughs> I, find that rage I hate all of you. you. I hate you. You sound like, a, <laughs> you, you sound like, you sound like, Rob, you sound like a, a of fine. course, a, a late night uh, radio yeah. therapist. Right. Right. Dr. Um, no, I don't know. Somebody, there was a guy. Uh, Dr. Len Goldfarb. Here's what I heard. He, uh, he would talk like this uh, when and when people become angry about things. And one person once called in and said, "Doctor, um, uh, I just want to like yeah, my friends are always making fun of how the way I the way I eat, the way I eat. It's always making fun of how I eat. How do you eat? I you know I like I like I like to eat the one thing on the plate and then go to the next thing and then go to the next thing. So I like, finish all of my like peas, whatever, and then go have some rice. I'll finish all my rice and then I can finish my meat. I like to do that. And doctor, and then they think I'm crazy. And he says, um. Well, um, I can tell you right now, you're not crazy. You're not. You're not crazy at all. That's like it's just the way you like to eat. Yes, it's the way I like to eat. And you tell your friends so they can eat whatever they like. Yeah. And the doctor says, "Well, just as a, I don't know, just as a question, since you brought it up. I mean, is there any reason you insist on eating that way?" <laughs> and the guy says, "No. I mean, have you ever tried to have just a little bit of this, a little bit of that?" And, of this? <laughs> and the guy says. What do you mean? Just hop all around the plate? <laughs> just pour all over the plate? And the doctor says, "That's a really interesting analogy. Can we talk about that?" And then that was it. It was I just like you know, you get you get into it, and you, you that's know. a fantastic, that's a fantastic improv. But you know, Jonah, you went to critical theory, which is interesting because like that's a much deeper place that I was going to go with this, which is just that fan that fan culture is insane. Yes, that too. That 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 um yeah. And, and I want to keep I talking about it. I think I date this to Star Trek. I mean, I think the first real uh, fan culture creation was the cult around Star Trek in the early 1970s, where they started having the uh, conventions and meetings, and people started, you know, to the point that there was this, you know, fantastic sketch on Saturday Night Live where Shatner is the host. And somebody, you know, says, you know, he's like at a con- convention where he's been paid a lot of money and people start asking him questions about what happened in episode 67. Why did he pick up that pen and this and that? <laughs> you know, before I, I answer any more questions, that's something I wanted to say. I, I, having received all your letters over the years and, 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 and I've spoken to many of you and some of you have traveled, you know, hundreds of miles uh, to be here. I'd just like to say, get a light, will you, people? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, for crying out loud, it's, it's just a TV show. I mean, look at you. Look at the way you're dressed. You, you, you've turned an enjoyable little job that I did as a lark for a few years into a colossal waste of time. I mean, I mean how old are you people? What have you done with yourselves? 
happened to you? You, you must be almost 30. Have you, have you ever kissed a girl? <laughs> I, I didn't think so. There's, there's a whole world out there. When I was your age, I didn't watch television. I lived. So move out of your parents' basement. <laughs> and get your own apartments and, and grow the hell up. You know, and then and then the manager of the convention comes over and they yell at each other and then Shatner says, I was just doing an imitation of the evil Captain Kirk <laughs> from episode fifty-two. You know, like that. But fan culture like this, the the internet and and social media and everything have accelerated it. Accelerated. But you know, I do remember reading an essay about um, when I was an English major about uh, Joseph Conrad's secret story, The Secret Sharer, mm-hmm. in which um, uh, uh, a young, untested um, ship's captain um, discovers a, uh, a, a sto- stowaway on board but becomes friends with him because he really has no other friends on the ship because he's the leader and he's untested and they all, they, 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 he's too young. And so he has this sort of friend and the friend kind of helps him out. And it's clearly an imaginary friend. It's clearly, I mean, not clearly, but the, and at no point did Joseph Conrad think this is a psychological projection. He probably thought literally this is the secret chair. This is a, this guy hopped on board and then he hops off. And even now it's like, I don't know, the, I don't know when the story written in the early 20th century, but uh, definitely concurrent with Freud, if not post-Freud. And, so people have been coming up with that's, that, that person's a ghost stories for a long time. That's, a, that's, a, that's the, the, the trick of Saki's uh, that great story, The Open Window, that great short story, The Open Window. But didn't Fifty Shades of Grey start as, as Twilight, Twilight fan fiction? Twilight fan fiction on a, on a message board. Yeah. yeah. So, but I mean, what I'm saying is like Lost, there are a couple of shows, you know, Lost... Uh, was this sort of flim-flam job, the show Lost, because it created this entire sort of, like, you know, universe yeah. of and they hadn't mysteries. And they hadn't worked it out. Yeah, and, 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 and this guy at Entertainment Weekly, Jeff Jensen, wrote on the Entertainment Weekly website 10,000 words a week <laughs> spinning out various theories about everything yeah, that went on right. in every As show. If they weren't in the room just saying, like, I, what do we I got? Don't know. Hey, yeah, you know what? Yeah. I drove in and I, I saw... <laughs> Uh, 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 listening to us, old Star Trek, and here's what I mean. Yeah, that's a great thing. It's like a friend of mine. When a friend of mine moved to the Pacific Palisades, actually my former writing partner, who who is he was a, um, a, a Trek a Star Trek fan, and he moved to the Pacific Palisades in Los Angeles, and he's driving to work one day, and he's looking at just idly looking at street signs, and he realizes that many of the street signs, many of the street names, are names of planets. Mm-hmm. And aliens from Star Trek. Because <laughs> Gene, Gene Roddenberry, Roddenberry was living up in the Palisades. He was Jesus. driving to work. Like, I need a thing. But yeah. the, it's the, uh, the, the, the Las Polgas, uh, <laughs> Avenida, the, the Los Morales planet. And it's, uh, it's kind of how yeah. you do it. When you got to do it, you got to do it. It's like, uh, right. yeah, kid, whatever. You know? <laughs> All right, so I, I want to I want to throw out, because uh, uh, we, we talked about Battlestar Galactica, and then, you yeah. know, there's the problem with, the, anyway. Um, uh not to get too thumb sucky, but um, you know, Ross Douthat had that book about decadence. Um, I'm becoming, I was more skeptical of the thesis back when it came out, and I'm coming around on it. And I like, you know, the Frederick Jack- Jackson Turner thesis about the closing of the frontier and how it changed the American mind, blah, 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 and all these kinds of stuff. I kind of feel like we are mass overproducing intellectuals who deal with uh, images, concepts, uh, literary theory, broadly understood, all this kind of stuff. And because they are basically reaching sort of critical mass in our culture and not enough of them know how to like make a jetpack or, um, <laughs> or know how to like figure out how we can get enough thrust to put colonies on the moon, they are instead turning inward and using the these these sort of critical thinking skills, right, of of sort of critical theory skills, to reimagine the meaning of life and you know all sorts of things. I mean, so much of like the, I mean, how many genders does Facebook list now? Fifty six or something like that. So much of that stuff is what you get with smart people with way too much time on their hands, and not a productive outlet for what to use their intellect for. And so they're turning just the, the nuts and bolts of physical reality into a choose-your-own-adventure, 
BSathon, where you know Finding Nemo is now about a ghost story and oh, all this kind of that. stuff. You know, still mad. I'm, I'm, I'm cross. I'm quite cross. <laughs> you are cross. Right? I um I would say this. First of all, the flying cars thing is interesting because the Uber and uh, a couple other people are talking. Elon Musk are talking about flying cars. I mean, Finally. They, 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 well, whatever. Simmer, simmer down, Mr. Editor of a Journal of Opinion. <laughs> Why don't the editors give me my I flying car? Flying car okay, it. fine. You know, you know what? I can think of. I can think. I can't think of many people. I think I, I want to have a flying car less than you. <laughs> I don't think you and a flying car is good for for passers-by, whatever they count as. But I would say that the, the, one of the problems is that, and I would tie this into what, what, what John's astonishing conclusion that this... Um, that I'm um, right? That, yeah. No, that this uh, soap opera that you were watching turned out to be, oh, my God, it's a soap opera. Soap operas were designed like to pass the time, fill up the time. They weren't supposed to end, beginning and end. We just got super fancy and thought, oh, no, it's not a soap opera. It's a DD. It's the Game of Thrones. It's really that's BS. It's always been BS. <laughs> and people have been, like, trying to upgrade all of their all, all their stupid ways, they, their pastimes, because they just can't stand the idea that they don't have a real hobby. Well, or they don't take up say. knitting or anything like that. But, but, but don't drag scientists and inventors into it. They're, doing, they're actually inventing flying cars. No. In fact, no, but in, that's my the point. People, that those people, it's the people, it's pixels, it's people writing blog no, posts. No, that's my tweets. point entirely. Yeah. Yeah. But there's, there are flying cars. We're going to have flying cars sooner. We're going to have flying cars uh, before this Finding Nemo controversy is put to rest. You know, one interesting aspect of Star Trek fandom, maybe not Star Trek fandom, but, oh the, but the, no, the, imp, no, the sentence that literally has never been No, said. the impact of Star Trek is that it brought thousands of people uh, decided that they wanted to work in aerospace because of Star Trek. And remember that, that one of the shuttles, yeah, one of the shuttles... Was named the Enterprise. Well, that's a by the choice. Anyway. No, uh, Star Trek premiered in sixty eight, sixty nine, sixty six to sixty eight, and then it was 66. on, and then it was on in reruns, and okay. people, professional engineers who worked on the shuttle, themselves decided they wanted to name the shuttle after the. Well, Star maybe they Enterprise. should have turned the TV off a little bit and thought a little bit more about what happens when the uh, O rings get cold. <laughs> that was the Challenger. They didn't oh, name sorry. the one that blew up after the oh, after see. Star yeah, Trek. Okay. All right, that's right. They had some just kind to, of talent to make that. that. Yeah, just to make that clear. No, but uh, like that's a positive effect of that kind of you know cultural fandom that doesn't involve people spending their time interpreting the show's meaning. It's just like I really. But you know, yes. I, I just say this. I get crap. I get crap when I say something like, oh, like this is what I would say to you, John Fedoris, is like when I say, I haven't seen that show, I haven't seen that show, I haven't seen that show. I don't know why people have all this time to watch these shows. I haven't seen that show. And there's this this impulse. We get it when we prepare for this show, this conversation that we have together twice a month. This is an attitude that like, what do you mean you haven't seen this? (laughs) You have to see that. How have you not watched this or that? Why the thing is the thing and it's going to be in the second season. Everybody's talking about it. All of that is crap. All of that is this fake enthusiasm ginned up by people who are on Twitter too much, and they should just, like, go outside and walk in the sunshine and have an iced tea and sit quietly and maybe write reflections in a little uh, notebook that you purchased at a, at, a, at a weird store that sells that stuff and just, just turn just – and, and you'll find you have so much more time. Like, I, I really do – not watching these things, I really do feel – not better, but I feel like my br- I have more time in my brain, and um, and I don't care. Like I can dip. I mean, I've seen a few episodes of Yellowstone. It seemed like you know what it seemed to me. It seemed like it moved slow. Yeah. And all these things seem like they move slow because you know what it moves slow? The soap opera moves slow. Right. People look at each other for a minute. They, 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 for some reason, say, I have something very important to tell you. But can it wait? I have to do this pointless <laughs> other action to delay this moment. And then that person does And that's that. And like, okay, it's because it gets you, it's gone five days a week. Having said that, Mayor of East Town is really good. That's all so I'm going to say. Fine. I'm not saying there's not good. It's, it's really good. good. And you know what else not, is good? You know you what else be, is good? You, you can live a very, very fine life never watching one of those things. That is true. But you know what else? But you know what? You can't live this, without a good next pet. great product. You can't this live next. without a pet, as <laughs> Jonah true. will tell you. Well, me too. And Jonah is kind of a proud cat person, and he mm. loves that cat. 
Mm. Even though he says it's his wife's cat. No, my wife's cat passed away. That was right. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, my God. I just brought up a very sore subject. I'm so sorry. (laughs) I am so sorry. Well, so. Well, then why are you laughing? You're so sorry. You love your cat. Is it a Kamala Harris thing where you just laugh? Yes, I'm cackling. I'm doing the Kamala cackle. Can you imagine if Kamala Harris was an oncologist? You have cancer. <laughs> let me, wait, let me, can I finish? I'm not finished. I'm, I'm speaking. It's inoperable. I'm speaking. It's inoperable. The tumor is the size of my fist, and you're going to lose your mind. You'll never see your kids again. <laughs> it's not, at this size, it's not sectionable. <laughs> I didn't say it was. Ca- I mean, I you you did I say it was cancer? Maybe it's. Uh, I haven't been to Europe. <laughs> she that was okay. I think I got to start this over again because we're no, now no, no, this is gold. Okay. No, this okay. is fine. Look, you love your cat, but that doesn't mean you love having a litter box in your home. Yes, it's Kitty Poo Club taking care of the more unpleasant parts of cat ownership so you can just get back to loving your furry friend. Kitty Poo Club is a convenient all-in-one monthly litter box solution. Every month, Kitty Poo Club delivers an affordable, high-quality, recyclable litter box that's pre-filled with the litter of your choice. The boxes are leak-proof, eco-friendly, and have a fun design for every season. When the month is up, you just recycle the box, and Kitty Poo Club will automatically deliver a new one to you. No changing used litter, and no more cleaning the box. You can customize your order based on how many cats you have, and choose from four different litter types. Kitty Poo Club has a no-risk satisfaction guarantee, and you can easily customize or cancel any time. And right now, Kitty Poo Club is offering you 20% off your first order, plus a free dome. Kind of like Brunelleschi's dome, only for a cat. Free scoop and free shipping. When you set up auto ship by going to kittypooclub.com slash glop. Just go to kittypooclub.com slash glop to get 20% off your first order. Plus a free dome, scoop and free shipping. When you set up auto ship, that's kittypooclub.com slash glop. We thank Kitty Poo Club for sponsoring the glop podcast. So somebody Chrissy was Teigen asking on Twitter. Oh yeah, what Chrissy Teigen? I, 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 I don't care. Who is Chrissy Teigen? I had okay. okay. to go to school on this in the last twenty four hours because I. Okay, then let's not then let's not do Chrissy Teigen. Okay. Uh, we can do, however, movies set in cities, and of course, the easiest. So uh, this has been a, a, a topic. We've done New York endlessly, haven't we? We're, okay, so we're not going to do New York. Let's not do New York. Let us talk about movies set in cities, but not New York, because there are too many movies set in New York, uh, and uh, so we're not going to do that. So the question is, I'm going to pick a city, and we're going to talk about what movie is most representative of that city or that cast with the best light or the most representative light. So I'm going to start with San Francisco. Hmm. So if you were to say to somebody – Here's a movie that shows you San Francisco in the best possible light, or you know, this is a movie you love about San Francisco, light. or this is a movie you love about San Francisco. What what movie would that be? Dirty Harry. <laughs> Dirty Harry. <laughs> right. Not exactly showing it in the best light. Well, I mean, I don't However, know what the best light would be. Uh, um, a best light, then it would be either What's Up Doc, or it would be. Um, um, uh, what's the one? Invasion of the Body Snatchers? That's a great one, too. Oh, that's a yeah, good one. What's the one, Chevy the Chase and Goldie Hawn? Oh, Foul Play. Foul Play. The Foul right. Play. Right. Okay, so I would go with What's Up, Doc. But there's, like, Bullet, right? Bullet. Sure, Bullet. The Bullet. famous chase Well, of course, scene. which makes no sense. The right, whole movie makes, makes no yes, sense. It, that makes no sense. There's actually a very good... Robert Vaughn plays the... Plays the... Uh, like, he runs the Senate... Subcommittee, and they keep saying like he's going to testify before my Senate subcommittee. <laughs> and then at the end, to prove that Robert Vaughn, who by the way didn't do it, is just a fat cat yeah. that you hate. They have him driving away from the from the scene in which the guy is killed for no reason, and everything happens for no reason. And he says something like, "I'll see you later, d- 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 whatever his name, is, detective." And he gets in a giant um, limousine for no reason. That has a TV antenna on the back. This is like early days. This is the limousine. Yeah, Sixty-eight. Like he, and yeah. he's like the—he's like the Senate. I don't even think he's a senator. It's like I'm not even clear what he is. And he opens up to prove his villainy. That day's Wall Street Journal. That's <laughs> all he cares about is money. Even though the Wall Street Journal at that point is like is like a day old because it's nighttime. Okay, here's another good San Francisco movie. 
that makes no sense. The Presidio. Anybody remember the Presidio? I don't know, yeah, that makes no yeah. sense either. So there's a director, writer-director named Peter Hyams. Peter Hyams had a very weird and interesting career because he was a documentary filmmaker, became a director, and he was his own cinematographer. So he wrote scripts, he directed them, and he was the director of cinematography, which you would think actually would happen more often because no, it's very, it's it's very, rare. very rare. And um, he made Running Scared with uh, with uh, sure. Gregory Hines and Billy Crystal, Billy Crystal which is movie. a very good that's Chicago a good movie, and that's a really good Chicago movie. It's a good picture. And he made The Presidio, which picture. is about right, which is about uh, San Francisco, and there are and it had three glittering stars. <laughs> well, one Mark Harmon. Sure. Now, Mark Harmon is actually one of the highest paid people in show sure, business because so he's been on sure. NCIS yes, yes. forever. I could, tell, I could tell you a great Sean Connery story that will will uh, will probably have to be removed from this podcast. Okay, you got it. Well, so Mark Harmon, this was the moment when they were trying to make Mark Harmon into a movie star, and it didn't take. And his co-star was Meg Ryan when they were trying to make her a movie star, and it did take. And she totally blew him off the screen because she was a movie star and he wasn't. And Meg Ryan. And this is one of the many ways in which the movie make, doesn't make sense. Meg Ryan's father, Sean Connery. Sure. Mm-hmm. Very believable. Very you can believable see, I, I've been in a million meetings like that. It's like, what about Sean Connery? <laughs> well, would that be weird? Because he's 900,000 years old, and she's, we're playing her at 23, and he's from Scotland. No, and he's an American be... general. Yeah. Well, that's also right. well, that, or, or colonel or whatever. Did you ever admiral. see the, the old TV show um, Wings? Yes. Wings was a show set on Nantucket. Two brothers ran a little um, airplane, air, airline, flying in a, a single twin engine plane. Ben Wattenberg from Boston to Nantucket. Star on that show. Yes, exactly. That's she right. was well. Rebecca I would. Stoll, I was yes. a star. I would just yeah. use it. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, and uh, and and they the idea was that they were two guys and they're going to fight over this girl that they had uh, both grown up with on the island. And so the cast as that as the girl. Uh, Crystal Bernard, who uh, was from Texas and had a very pronounced Texas accent. Yes. And so they had to say at some point, well, remember, we grew up together, and then you moved to Texas and then moved back. That was her. And they had to do yeah. that for like the first season. Like, well, you know, we grew up together, but then she moved to Texas yeah. and then she moved back. They had to put that in because otherwise yeah. people say, wait a minute, how come she sounds like she's from Texas? So I, somebody in the meeting said, yeah, you know what? It's weird for 30 seconds. And then you're like, no, they're telling me. That Sean Connery is her father, so he's her father, and you never think about it. So that. the thing about the Presidio that um, I'm not sure this is 100 percent right, but it was certainly directionally right. That may be the first movie that began this long stretch of movies where we're just supposed to believe that Sean Connery is basically superhuman, where like a whole bunch of these movies, yeah, where he does, where like. The the best one, also San Francisco movie, Alcatraz, where he's literally been the in rock. S- the rock. rock, right? I'm sorry, the rock. Yeah. Where he's literally been in solitary confinement for 40 <laughs> years, or 30 years, and he comes out and he's immediately smarter than like mm-hmm. everybody. Right. He knows his way around everything. He's <laughs> he's adept at driving, and his brain right. is not mush. He jailbreaks at all. the iPhone. Yeah, I mean he, it's it's. <laughs> And there's a, look at what is another one? Um, that boomerang. What, what was the movie he did with um, Catherine Zeta Jones, where he's like a. Oh yeah. Um, oh, the one where she, where he's a he's a thief. thief. Entrapment or something. Yeah, and entrapment. She, yeah, yeah. And then she he has to teach her how to like avoid the laser beams. Yes. Yeah. 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 And um, yeah, exactly. which, which were yeah. invented while he was in whilst he was in prison. And, and then there's <laughs> yeah. there's the one where he you have, to, the, you uh, have to avoid the beams. The the jungle explorer who who helps um whatever her name is the actress yeah. who's the Lorraine Bracco. Lorraine yeah, Bracco. medicine man where he discovers the cure for cancer but loses it. Right, and he can swing from trees. Right, he's and forgetful. He's, he's yeah. Yeah. Anything wrong? Yeah. He's, he's always better than everybody else. Yeah. And it's it's that has to be his agent. Like insisting that that's you know that 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 he has to be superhuman and everything. And I love Sean Connery, but that that stuff starts to get really old. Sound like yeah. it? No, yeah. I don't think it was his agent making that happen. I just think it was one of those things where people were writing a, the Sean. I assume pretty soon people write the Sean Connery character, and they just that's who they want. I mean, which is weird because of course his greatest roles I think were you know in movies where he kind of wasn't that. I mean, the man who would be king, he's the, yeah. the hero and the villain at the same time. Um, 
So here's the story. As a Spaniard Ramirez in yeah. Highlander, where there's a totally believable <laughs> Spanish funny. accent. Yeah. <laughs> um, here's, the, here's the Sean Connery story, which we cannot repeat. Uh, maybe I'll just – we can't repeat the last three words. So um, a friend of mine and I were – a friend of mine, not me, it was, he was in, a, in an airport somewhere and um, waiting there was Sean Connery. And he's a musician and, you know, he's done some stuff. And so he they, he starts talking to Sean Connery before Sean Connery has to go get his plane. And um, Sean Connery's telling him stories and they're just, oh, man, you're so cool. Man, you're the, Sean Connery the greatest. And then finally someone tells him, Mr. Connery, your plane's ready. And he gets up to go to his plane and he goes, all right, I'll leave your fellows with one more. And that's just, now I'm doing Irish accent. Yes. I'll leave your fellows with one more. Audrey Hepburn, 1968, in the bum. <laughs> and then he walked away. You know, the fantastic, remember, he died, I think, last year. So he died last okay. year, and people start doing commemorations of him because he was so fantastic, and everybody loved him until they remembered that someone dug up why, why yeah. he hadn't been yeah. interviewed right. much in his life because he told Barbara Walters in 1987 that he really thought that women deserved a good slapping right. every now and then just to keep them in line. And really, you know, because um, really they are they, they, they needed a good talking. They needed to, you know, know their place. And so his then his agents and his press people were like, Sean, you can never be interviewed ever again. <laughs> yes, you you can only be a hero. But what I love about that was that like it, people who say things like that. Then I think I heard that he was getting very defensive. Like, well, I guess I'm not politically correct or whatever they call it. It's like, well, it's, it's not just that. You're not supposed to hit people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's always the best. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I, yeah. I believe he said, like, I believe he said, you can only do it with an open hand, right? Yeah, something like that. That's right. Yeah, right. Well, well, you know, if you're if you're really gonna, yeah. Anyway, uh, well, I guess I'm not PC or whatever. Gonna, this cancel culture is gonna, oh, Sean. It's really not just that. It's yeah, just well, that was around. like that was like Trump's fantastic repurposing of fake news, right? Which was, of course, it was Trump, according to liberals in 2016, who were who was purveying fake news. He would say things, and they would say, "Well, this is fake news." And then Trump's like. I'm not fake news. You're fake yeah. news, and that now fake news is a right wing talking point. Exactly, right? yeah. It's like it's it's a it's a, a, a fantastic act of jujitsu somehow or other. Okay, so New Orleans best. Movies. I'll tell you what. A, I'll tell you what a fantastic act of jujitsu was. Yeah, Audrey Hepburn. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! All right, so we are, New just Orleans. Before San Francisco, you have yes. to mention Vertigo. Okay, we're done. Oh, Vertigo. Yeah, 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 yeah right. absolutely. Vertigo. Uh, no saying, yes, yeah. and I still think that What's Up Doc is the best. Ah, it's a good, it's, it's a my favorite it's a San Francisco movie. Okay, New Orleans. You're in New Orleans. What do we got New for New Orleans? New Orleans is a hard one. I mean, there's there's the the the, uh, the spooky ones. There's Bray, uh, not Bray. What's the one with the Angel Heart? Angel Heart. Mm-hmm. Mickey Rourke and yeah. Lisa Bonet and the Robert De Niro. Yeah. Only the soul is immortal, yes. and yours belongs to me. Robert De Niro's name is Lou Cipher. Lou Cipher, yeah. yeah. I was like, what is that? Yeah. Wait a minute. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, it's like just in, in death trap. It's Arnold yeah. Friend. Yeah. Arn- an old friend. Yeah. <laughs> an old friend. Um, oh, my God. Okay, so New Orleans, I, I think I mentioned the other week Panic in the Streets, which is a movie about the play, about uh, trying Kazan. to prevent Millie yeah. Kazan, second or third movie, trying to prevent the plague from coming to America. Uh, in the person of Zero Mostel, oddly enough, that's, well, he's the first guy who gets the bubonic plague at the at the New Orleans docks. Um, that's an amazing. You got to mention Streetcar Named Desire, right? Right. Although, was that even filmed? I, I assume that was filmed. I don't know. I guess you can see that you can see the streetcar, but um, what uh, there's the big the easy, which I don't like. like you know. The New Orleans thing, so it's okay. A, 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 um, New Orleans is a hard one. I mean, New Orleans is a better, uh, obviously, is, is much a better, much much better city when it comes to books, right? Uh, Confederacy right. Dunces for sure, but also Robert Stone's first novel, Hall of Mirrors. It's oh, that Robert is a Stone's really a good book. Wonderful, that is wonderful a really author. good book. Even though he's a un- commie, commie filth. But he's he's commie, but he's like a he's a genuine commie. He's and like a, a pre hippie commie. Yes. Okay, so Rob, you need to go get a charger while I tell everybody about the X chair. Oh, okay. Okay, uh, which Jonah may be sitting in right now. I don't know. I am. Uh, 
because I have a newfound appreciation for having the right kind of chair, uh, particularly after this year. And if you're not in the X chair, then the one you got needs to go because its secret is not only its patented dynamic variable lumbar support, which offers unbelievable lumbar support to your lower back, but now thanks to its new XHMT technology, I can also get heat massage therapy while I'm sitting at my desk. That XHMT delivers heat massage technology to my core, helping increase blood flow, muscle recovery, and energy. It even has four different massage modes. Instead of my old, uncomfortable office chair, now I look forward to spending hours sitting in the ultimate therapeutic massager. You won't believe the X chair difference until you feel the X chair difference for yourself. Trust me, this is the luxury supercar of office chairs. X chair is on sale now for $100 off. Go to xchairglop.com now. That's the letter X, chair. Glop.com or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR. X-CHAIR has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Go to xchairglop.com now and use code XWheels for free X-Wheel Blaycasters. xchairglop.com, and we thank X-CHAIR for sponsoring the Glop podcast. Uh, Jonah. Yes. Washington, D.C. Movies set here? Millions of movies. What do you think? What, what movie... Uh, that's a good question. I mean, I mean, I, I love Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. I don't know that that really covers it. Um, you know, I mean, when I first moved to D.C., people loved to point out the um, the con- the geographic continuity problems with No Way Out. Yes, because of course there's a metro in Georgetown, right. where, which which was deliberately the metro system was deliberately designed to avoid Georgetown. Talk about structural uh, for political reasons. Yes, yeah. total structural racism. But right, so they place a metro stop in the Georgetown Park Mall, which is an outrage to everybody who. Well, and also, has like you go into the street. subway in Georgetown, which doesn't right. exist, right. and you come yeah. out of the Pentagon without ever getting yeah. on, a, on a subway. Yeah, it's sort of yeah. like in the Warriors. Not to talk about a New York movie where they get in at 72nd Street, the subway, and they got at 14th. Yeah. Well, no, no, they, they fight and then they emerge at 96th Street without ever getting on right. a train, which is hard. Yeah. Yeah, um, but um, but No Way Out is a really great DC movie. It is. A, but can we? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say we could talk a little bit about uh, about things that happen in those movies where people who know the world are just rolling their eyes and saying, you just, you, first of all, you can't get across town that fast. Yeah. And, uh, well, that's 24. The movie beginning, you know, I mean, yeah. yeah. 24 is the. But there's a wonderful um, moment in a terrible Jennifer Lopez movie. Remember this movie? Where is a recent one where she plays like a professor, which is uh, it's a horror movie or something, and uh, this uh, one of her students is stalking her. But you know, in the early days, he's like he uh, he gives her a present, um, and she you know to prove that Jennifer Lopez is a, a smart professor, they give, they give her glasses. She's wearing glasses, <laughs> and he gives her a present. She opens his book. She opens it up. She goes, "The Iliad. This is the first edition." <laughs> No, come on. Yeah. No. He, he, yeah. He kind of you. It's a bucket of yard Fantastic. sale. It's a bucket of yard sale. She goes, wow. First of all, you know. And, like, <laughs> and you know that there was a person, there's a kid probably, like an intern or, 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 or just a, you know, a, just a PA on that set who was just a summer job or something or dreams of being in the show business. And she's like, um, hey. Is it weird that she's saying that it's the first edition Iliad because that didn't? It was. It's an ancient Greek <laughs> epic poem that was yeah, actually never written. Yeah. I mean, if it was on and a you scroll, see that, like, you know, get me my turkey wrap. Where's my turkey yeah. wrap? <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, Pauline Kale pointed out there's a movie called Slow Dancing in the Big City. It's terrible. I don't even want to. There's no point in talking about it, only for this reason, which is that she says there's a scene in it where a guy says to his girlfriend, I, "I'm flying out tonight," and she says. On a plane, and Polly Kale says the director must have watched this scene, and the editor must have watched this yeah. scene two hundred times <laughs> while they were making the movie, and it never occurred to them to take out the woman saying "on a plane." It's <laughs> like, right. what kind of a conversation is that? That's insane. Okay, so um, I, 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 just because he brought yeah, up Mayor of Town, to I don't know if we'll ever have a chance to do this again. Um, I liked it a lot too. The single most ridiculous thing in it. Is when again, spoiler alert for anybody, when the gay teenage girl meets a night a disc jockey, um, and the disc jockey chick tells her, "Oh, you really need to talk to my friend. She's a professor at Stanford." 
And by, on the basis of Berkeley, Berkeley, Berkeley on the basis of Berkeley. one phone call, yeah, she gets into Berkeley. she gets into Berkeley, even though the application deadline has long since passed. And yes. uh, that was mm-hmm. truly yeah. well. That's very hard for you, particularly now, having gone through all this, went through the college, I mean, college process. I, there are lots of professors I could have gotten on the phone with Lou if I thought that was a possibility. Right. Um, so, uh, Rob, you are from the environs of Baltimore. Sure. So there's, of course, only one truly great Baltimore movie. Oh, well, I don't know if there's only one. I mean, I think there's, like, there's there's several beautiful – there's several great movies, but I would have to say – honestly, I I think I know the one you're talking about, and that's a a funny movie, Diner, Barry Levinson's real first um, feature. But I actually think the most beautiful movie about Baltimore is Avalon, which is his story – really a home movie story about his family Uh uh, as a family of immigrants. Um, the most interesting about Avalon is it's a beautiful story about uh, Baltimore that people who are in my family and sort of my world have never seen. Because it's uh, like, well, why it doesn't right. have anything to do with us? Because that's a whole different part of town. They said. <laughs> well, yeah, but I mean, it's still a city, right? Well, maybe they would take flamingos. Yeah, only because they know it's dirty. But they, right. but you yeah. know, well, listen, John Waters. He when they, he lived in Lutherville. Yeah. Grew up in Lutherville. He went to Calvert School, I think, for a little bit. Like yeah. Okay. Calvert. If you're looking for a completely obscure Baltimore movie, which I don't know why you would be, but if you were, there's a movie called The Bedroom Window with Elizabeth McGovern. And Steve Gutenberg made in the mid-'80s by Curtis Hansen, who ended up making L.A. Confidential. It's a really terrific movie, a very beautiful evocation of Baltimore. And Philadelphia, probably, which we just saw, Mayor of Easttown, which is set in the Philadelphia suburbs, uh... Probably trading places, but that was there. Is there another Philadelphia movie? Well, there's the movie Rocky, Philadelphia, Rocky, and Rocky, of course. I don't know why I said trading, but Rocky is obviously the ultimate Philadelphia movie. On Baltimore, you got to remember Tin Men, which was Tin, Tin Men. Men. But that's, well, that's anything, Barry Levinson. Barry Levinson. Yeah. Anything the yeah, Barry Levinson yeah, yeah, world, yeah. yeah. or the John Waters okay. world. For that and what, okay, finally, I think we should conclude with Chicago, which is probably the uh, that's the Chicago movie. way. The Chicago. I just saw like half an hour of that last night on. Stars, yeah, the the Untouchables, um, uh, but I would say, you know, Running Scared. I just mentioned Running Scared. Running Scared is a pretty good Chicago movie, and there's a fantastic chase scene where a car ends up, cars end up on the on the elevated train tracks, uh, and, and it's pretty great. It's pretty pretty brilliant. Um, there's Blues Brothers, Blues Brothers obviously. of course, yeah, yeah. Ferris Bueller. And, Ferris Bueller, sure, which of course cool. has yeah has the Steuben Day, Steuben Day Parade Fugitive? and um, Fugitive, Fugitive, yes. and about last night with Demi Moore and Rob Lowe, which is a which is a adaptation of a, uh, of a David, David Mamet, Mamet yeah weird adaptation of David Mamet play, but very yeah, much yeah also had that great moment where you, you the first time you meet. The, the doctor, played by Jeroen Crabbe, the Dutch actor, you know, oh, he did it because he's foreign. Yeah. <laughs> and spoiler he alert, so he did good. it because he's foreign. It's yeah. amazing you can pronounce his name because I never Ooh, knew how to well, pronounce I in, it. Also, I lived in uh, Oh, you in did. It's a, a that's a, he's a great actor. Oh, yeah. Two days ago, two nights ago, my wife and I rewatched Road to Perdition, which technically oh, yeah. isn't set in Chicago, though there's a lot of oh, Chicago in it. Yeah, it's a staggeringly pretty film, and it's one yeah. of the most beautiful movies ever and ever made. I gotta say, the I'm, I'm hard pressed to think of a movie that was bumped up by its its musical score as much as that was. I mean, I'm sure there are plenty of others, but it really is amazing how they the the soundtrack on that thing really takes it up a letter grade. Yeah, I'll give you two other. Uh, you mentioned uh, Tom Hanks is, of course, the star of The Road to Perdition, along with Paul Newman in a staggeringly charming performance as a mob boss. Like, just, you know. It's, Much better than Hanks, it, I think. Yeah, it sort of reminds you. Like, you Jeroen Cabe in that? He was not. I that <laughs> He's anyway. not. But uh, you see, like, Paul Newman at his Paul Newmanist, yeah. and you're like, I mean, there was nobody like him. I gotta say, you know, but you never saw anybody that you just loved quite so much as Paul, like, who just was infectiously likable like Paul Newman. Daniel Craig was remarkably good as playing a weasel, which is rare yeah. for someone who's a James Bond, right? I don't know that Sean Connery could ever have played a weaselly, hateable character the way that right. that Daniel Craig does in that. Yeah, he, he's amazing in that movie. Um, but to, to another Tom Hanks movie, not well-known enough, 
really good, nothing in common, in which he mm-hmm. plays an ad oh, executive. Right. And the, Jackie Gleason yeah. is his father. It's about him dealing with his parents Seal breaking Ward. up after Celia Warden, her first performance. Anyway, that is, if you've never seen it. I believe even Marie, Marie Saint. It's his mother, mother right. And even yeah. Marie Saint and Jackie Gleason, uh, oh. and it's, they, they, divo- they, they split up. And he, Worst award uh, awards reception speech ever from even Marie Saint. And she, I think she won, the most, I think it was her Emmy. She won an Emmy. And her uh, acceptance speech was this. She looked at the Emmy and said, she, it's talking directly to the statuette. Hope you get along with Oscar and Tony. <laughs> oh, my God. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That is, that is horrible. And one other final one. Brian De Palma's The Fury, which is a which is a horror movie from the late seventies. Again, if you know Chicago, fantastic evocation of Chicago, including a chase scene on Lower Wacker Drive, which is like a kind of ideal. It's like one of the great chase car chase scenes mm-hmm. uh, ever done in the fog on Lower Wacker Drive, and I strongly recommend that. So, do we have any other cities you can think of before we wrap here? No, not really. Um, and I also, I gotta go. So. So Jonah's got to go. I'll be on special Man, report on what? Friday. You guys talk amongst yourselves. Lovely to see you. Um, and Rob, I'll de- I'll deal with my rage. Okay. That doesn't sound very true. That's Just true. remember Audrey Hepburn, 1968. <laughs> <laughs> Later. Okay. Rob, what about you? Martini shot. Oh, martini shot! Please uh, go to go to your uh, podcast place and um, subscribe to my martini shot, which is very short. It's only about three and a half, four minutes. I tell little stories and little tell stuff, kind of like what I do here. Um, uh, only there's nobody else talking, uh, which is the way I prefer it. If you are uh, not, by the way, also if you are not a subscriber to the Ricochet, the, the flagship Ricochet podcast, which you ought to be if you're listening you to, to this. Me, absolutely. Uh, last week's or this week's the current. Ricochet flagship podcast, the Ricochet podcast with Rob, Peter Robinson, and James Lilacs, which is called Question Time, is one of the best podcasts I've ever listened to. Really? Why? I don't know. It was just delightful. There was something absolutely delightful about it because because you huh. took these readers' questions and you were all three of you were incredibly charming and funny. Should we do that with this? Should we do that with Glob? Yeah, but I, but you know what? We're 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 too neurotic to do it well. Um, There's something about being some you, of you, us, you being with Peter and 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 James and the three of you Gentiles, you know, discussing cocktails and growing up on farms and things like that. <laughs> it just has now, a completely now, different now vibe. Of why it hits you? Yeah, <laughs> it, it hits different. different. Yeah, it's like well, when I was on the farm having having a having a beer. Uh, like that, but it was—it's really great, and people should listen to it as they should listen to the Commentary Magazine podcast, which I'm on yes. uh, every day. Definitely. We're closing Commentary Magazine tomorrow, and Rob has a wait tomorrow. You mean I had an extra? I had one more day. You did not have an extra day. <laughs> you had no extra day. Uh, anyway, his an piece day. will be up at CommentaryMagazine.com uh, on Thursday, the seventeenth, and is um, a fantastic explanation of how it is that a company like AT&T wastes uh, hundreds of billions of dollars on bad me- bad purchases of, of other right. media companies. Yeah. That tells a story about the Victor Talking Machine Company and how it's just fantastic. A hundred years ago, the Victor Talking Machine Company became the first vertically integrated media con- company yeah. uh, mm-hmm. looking for content. And it in searching for content... It created country music, so that that and, is part and, of the story. And uh, honestly, the recording industry as a it's whole, it, right? Yeah, it's yeah. It's, it was an amazing. Moment. Yeah. Anyway, it's a great piece, and I'm heartsick to hear that you're leaving New York. But I can't blame you because I don't know why anybody would want to live in New York. This place is a dump. I love New York. I just feel like it's, it's become a, a dump. Orleans is really place is a dump. Well, New York. I mean, New Orleans is kind of a dump, but it's a splendid ruin. People okay. here just kind of. It's just great. It's just a great, great place. All right. Well, you left. LA. Now you're going to leave New York. You're going to go to New Orleans. You'll leave New Orleans and you're going to go to Scottsdale or something. <laughs> yeah, that's right. right, right. There's <laughs> no good movie about Scottsdale. There's no good movie. There's one. Is there one about Phoenix? I don't know. I can't think of one about Phoenix. Hmm. It's, uh, it's interesting. Opportunity. There you go. Okay. Talk Next to you time. Later.
see the world There's such a lot of world to see We're after the same rainbows and Join the conversation. Well, I don't know. I'm 60 years old. I can't remember anything. <laughs>